It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You are tuned in to the Foul Weather Podcast. The forecast to your next successful hunt. Coming to you from the home office, Jack's Reef, New York. Where are the ducks cutting through the crap? How harvest and the midwinter survey work? The decline in ducks is real, but the sky is not falling? Historically low snow cover and heat in the upper Midwest and prairies? And your migration forecast. All that and more on this week's episode of the Foul Weather Podcast. We thank our every week listeners. You know who you are. Those that never miss a single migration forecast episode each Monday morning. Y'all are as ate up as me about ducks, duck biology, and duck migration. You know where the ducks are at before the ducks know where they are at. (laughs) Think about that. You know where the ducks are at before the ducks know where they are at. Our dedicated weekly listeners can pick the best days to hunt because the Foul Weather Podcast forecasts fresh ducks, hot from the north. Shoot the ducks from the north before they know where they're at. I'm your host, Dr. Mike, coming to you from the home office in Jack's Reef. Duck season's done at the home office, and the ducks are still here in good numbers. As a reminder, we produce the only duck migration forecast available. All other migration reports are just that, reports. They tell you where ducks were yesterday or very often last week. We use mathematical models to forecast duck migration each week from October to January for the Central, Mississippi, and Atlantic flyways. We drop episodes each Monday morning for the next week so you know what days are best to hunt fresh ducks hot from the north. We have a lot of new listeners as of last week. Thank you for tuning in to the Foul Weather Podcast. If you'd take a minute to follow us for free so you get alerts each time we drop a new episode, we'd appreciate it very, very much. You also can rate us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please feel free to send your questions to Mike at foulweather.co. That's F-O-W-L, weather. Dot co, not dot com, but just dot co. And we'll do best, uh, we'll do our best to answer them in the coming weeks. On Christmas, we released episode 19, Where Are the Ducks? But we really didn't have time to dig into it enough because of our time crunch around the holidays and my trip to Missouri and Mississippi to duck hunt. So today we're going to do a deeper dive into the chatter out there to answer your questions to the greatest degree possible. We also aim to dispel some misinformation about the current status of ducks, duck populations, and duck migration that is floating around. There are certainly ways we could improve how we monitor duck populations, duck harvest, and how we use population models to manage duck seasons and duck harvest in the United States. But there is no reason to burn the entire institution of duck management on this continent down because you are not seeing ducks, right? The criticisms and topics of concern are not ignored by waterfall biologists on this continent, and they, along with the best brains out there at Premier Wildlife Universities, are working diligently every day for the ducks and duck hunters. Do not forget that nearly every duck biologist is also a duck hunter. 
They are not your enemy. They are literally in the marsh, in the timber, on the lake, and in the fields next to you. They want what is best as well, right? Don't forget that. They may not always be right, but they work very hard to arm themselves with the best information possible to produce an objective decision about how to manage ducks and duck harvest. The objective process also helps ensure that anti-hunting groups do not have ammunition to sue the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service over season dates and structures, which is, is a substantial benefit of the current process to fend off illegitimate arguments by anti-hunters because they feel like hunting is wrong or they feel like we are shooting too many ducks. Biologists don't work in feelings. They work in facts and objective decision-making frameworks. More on this in a few, but first, my Missouri and Mississippi trip was a total bust. The area is epic bad with the lowest duck numbers and least water uh, I've ever seen in that part of the world. Specifically, we tried hunting the boot heel of southeast Missouri in the northern delta of Mississippi. Uh, we were also meant to head on to Texas, but we had truck troubles, so we didn't think an additional 24 hours of driving was the best idea, right? No matter, the early return gave us time in the home office in Jack's Reef to dig into these important duck topics a bit more for inclusion in this week's podcast. My takeaway beyond great company and conversations with friends was that I'm happy that duck, cl duck clubs exist because that is who had habitat, who had water for the ducks, and where we could hear the shooting was coming from. I could really be resentful of these people, um, but maybe we take a step back. On intense drought years like this year, without those places, where would the ducks be and where would they feed? You know, when it's that dry and the delta, the MAV doesn't flood naturally, that is the duck habitat. And we should be glad it exists for the ducks, right? Hey, too much hate on for duck clubs, in my opinion. If you haven't yet, go find us on Facebook at foulweather.co and have a look at the graphics of the lack of snow cover, abnormally warm temperatures, lack of ice on the Great Lakes, and historic drought. It doesn't take much to realize why mallards are not in the traditional wintering areas of the Mississippi Alluvial Valley, the MAV. They're just everywhere else right now. Also, if you are just catching up with us and the term WSI or Weather Severity Index is new to you, please go back and listen to Episode 8, Predicting the Grand Passage. Also catch up on our long-term seasonal forecast on Episode 5 and 12, where we detail what a strong El Nino means for the rest of our January weather. Okay, let's get into the meat of the podcast topic, Where Are the Ducks? Part 2, Separating Feelings from Facts. First, let's not deny that some duck populations have declined, and I think specifically what most folks are worried about are mallard numbers in the traditional survey area of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service Waterfall Breeding Population and Habitat Survey, or what is referred to as the BPOP. They also count ponds during the survey, which is called the May Pond Count. These numbers of mallards are very closely tied to wetland abundance on the prairies through time. Have a look at our Facebook page and Instagram today for that relationship between May Ponds and Mallard Bee Pop from 1974 to present. Present. If you look at this, you can see that we are at about 6.1 million mallards, which is one of the reasons we are not seeing 
mallards. One of the reasons we are seeing less mallards. This is the lowest pop the population has been since before the water returned to the prairies in the 1990s. But do remember that gadwall, green-winged teal, blue-winged teal, shovelers, redheads, and canvasbacks are still above their long-term averages. Only mallards, widgeon, pintails, and scop are below long-term averages. But overall, the prairies are getting dry again, which is part of the cycle, and duck populations are, are declining. The only species last year to increase from 2022 to 2023 were green-winged teal, shoveler, and canvasbacks. The prairies are certainly dry, and we shouldn't forget that key piece of information. Ducks need water to make more ducks, and making more ducks is key because the average duck does not live very long, right? But instant ducks just add water. Most of the commonly harvested ducks breed like bunnies and fill in ponds quickly when the prairies get wet again. Johnny Lynch, known as the father of the flyway biologist, over 50 years ago, had his finger on the pulse of duck cycles. He writes this, The super crop racks up the duck population up to an extra high level, but it ain't going to stay that high unless the notoriously short-lived individuals that make up this population are replaced. These extras ain't going to keep unless we salt them away in a deep freeze. (laughs) I love that. Said another way, shoot them while you got them. So you might ask why we are still in a liberal framework of being able to hunt ducks 60 days in a six duck limit when back in the 1980s, before the boost in duck populations in the 1990s, we were at 30 days and three ducks per day. Without getting into the weeds too much, we've learned a lot about duck harvest over the years, largely that ducks run guns, guns don't run ducks. So yes, the mallard population has declined, but if we've learned anything from years of waterfall harvest management, it's that you can't stockpile ducks, especially in the face of declining habitat quality or just simply amount of ponds because the prairies are starting to go dry. Hey, you can't fit five pairs of mallards in one remaining wetland, just like you can't fit five fat guys in a tub. (laughs) All right. Well, if that doesn't get me fired from the Fall Weather Podcast, I guess nothing will. You could also state it more simply as, right, shoot them while you got them. The other wrinkle here is that the BPOP does well to track trends in ducks in the core breeding areas. And for some, like gadwall or shovelers, most of them breed in that survey area. But for ducks like mallards that breed and exist just about everywhere in North America, the BPOP survey only captures a portion of the population. Using Lincoln-Peterson estimators, which is a way of using banding and harvest data to estimate total population size, basically you have a known number of individuals that you band, you recapture a percentage of those by shooting and reporting bands, and from these we can estimate harvest rates or the percentage of the population that is harvested during a given year. And there is also harvest survey data each year that gives us an estimate of the total harvest. So we estimate how many were killed, and we know the percent of the population this represents, and you can use these metrics to calculate total population. There are some nuances to this, but getting into the weeds here isn't necessary. The point is that when you conduct Lincoln-Peterson estimates for the mallard population, you come up with four times as many mallards in the Pacific population, and about 1.8 times as many in the mid-continent and eastern population than from surveys alone. The point? 
there's a lot of fucking mallards on this continent. Interestingly, during the high mallard population years recorded during the BPOP, the multiplication factor jumps even more. Like we could have almost six times as many mallards as we counted. I'm speculating that this is possibly because once the prairies get full, they overflow to other areas, or after several years of high prairie production, they fill into other areas on the continent. Hey, nobody knows, but again, great brains are working on these questions as I speak. Point is, again, lots of mallards and you can't stockpile ducks. It's not how it works because they don't live very long, even in the absence of harvest. Think about that. Mallards don't live very long, even in the absence of harvest. And that is key. Even in the absence of harvest, they don't live very long. So shoot them while you got them. All right, though, the idea of paper ducks may have some validity, though, in some cases. The change in sex ratios is real, with more males per female occurring for some species, like mallards, pintails, and even wood ducks. Those excess males may actually not be paired, but counted as pairs at times. Why does this matter? The process is really complicated, but because females are difficult to detect and are often off tending to a nest, males must be used to get a more accurate count of the population, otherwise we get grossly underestimated populations. As such, males are used as indicated pairs. But it does get complicated beyond that because there are spare males in the population. For instance, two males in one hen is considered a pair and a spare because there are plenty of three-bird flights on the breeding grounds as males vie for attention and potentially mating privileges from hens. (laughs) Do not take dating advice from ducks. It's pretty effed up. Many, if not most, nests have eggs fertilized by more than one male. Okay, so that all said, there is an argument out there that an increase in the number of unpaired males in the population could artificially inflate the population. But when they are in groups larger than five, they're just counted as five ducks, not five indicated pairs or ten total ducks. That, and it's not typical to encounter really large groups of ducks during the breeding season, because of territoriality. So paper ducks from over-inflating indicated pairs is a thing. It is a thing. And here's the deal. If there is a bias that is cause for concern, there are really good people working on it right now. It's not like biologists don't recognize potential issues and are ignoring these potential factors. Given the skew in sex ratios, the big question is how many of the solo drakes or groups of less than five drakes are actually paired, right? Currently, the BPOP survey assumes they are all paired, but some work by Dr. Mike Brazier of Ducks Unlimited, well, Ducks Unlimited now, but work by Dr. Mike Brazier 20 years ago indicated that 80% of unpaired males occur in groups less than five during the breeding survey. All right, stay tuned because good people are working to understand how much bias this creates. As noted on the Ramsey Russell podcast episode, Where the Hell Are the Ducks, where I was a guest, uh, my expertise is not waterfall population dynamics. I did consult with folks whose expertise is waterfall population dynamics for this episode. Uh, But I'm not going to get too, too deep into this. But I did want to clarify a bit about indicated breeding pairs and the actual potential bias. It is unlikely the primary reason you are not seeing as many ducks. Duck numbers are certainly low. 
That has been measured quite well by the Breeding Population Survey. And if you haven't been following the Fall Weather Podcast, the weather has been near record warm and low snow for December this year as well. Heck, Des Moines, Iowa had the second warmest December on record since 1889 and the third lowest ever snow recorded. Hey, people were jogging in t-shirts in Minnesota around Christmas, and I even heard of someone water skiing only a week or so ago. It might not be obvious because, you know, it's been cool enough in places like Mississippi, but when the high is 50 in Mississippi and also North Dakota on the same day, heck, we can all agree it's a weird year. On to the midwinter survey. We know that Arkansas mallard numbers are the lowest they've been since 2009, which also happens to be a relatively strong El Nino event year. The comment is that compared to other years, Arkansas is missing about 400,000 mallards on their midwinter survey. First, (laughs) midwinter surveys are not comparable to the breeding population survey because they use different methods. I'm going to actually read directly from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service Midwinter Survey page to ensure everyone understands how it differs from the BPOP, which is used for regulatory purposes. Purpose. The Midwinter Waterfall Survey is a nationwide effort to survey waterfowl in areas of major concentration on their wintering grounds and provide winter distribution and habitat affiliations. The survey also serves as a primary source of data on population trends for some species that breed in remote Arctic locations and are difficult to survey using traditional methods. Therefore, abundance indices for some of these species are obtained from surveys on wintering areas. For species not covered in other population surveys, these indices provide direct input into management programs such as harvest management plans. Limitations The Midwinter Survey has been criticized for its lack of statistical sampling design, differences in field methods among states, changes in survey personnel and variability in personnel experience, variation in survey effort, and changes in surveyed areas within states. Eggeman and Johnson in 1989 summarized many of the limitations with the Atlantic Flyway Midwinter Waterfall Survey data. Because of these limitations, caution must be used in making inferences about population trends using data from this survey. Any such attempts should be made in close consultation with state and federal agency personnel that have knowledge of specific limitations of these data for individual states and species. All right, a few key components there. It is used to get population trends for species difficult to survey in remote Arctic locations like Brant and Tundra Swans and it is meant to survey major concentrations on wintering grounds to provide winter distributions and habitat affiliations. But on years like this, when nearly everything south of Canada, and even many places into Canada, are wide open, then it is easy to see how it is not counting every duck, especially a mallard that lives pretty much anywhere with broad feeding habits, right? You've likely never heard of Oneida Lake, which is in central New York. But it is about 51,000 acres in size. It is wide open right now, and it's packed with mallards. So are many places throughout, you know, kind of northern duck country. We just heard from friends in Wisconsin, and, you know, lots of ducks and geese still there too. Uh, After posting the image about lack of snow on Facebook on the foulweather.co Facebook page, we posted an image of the lack of snow across the continent in 2024 compared to past years, we got tons of people posting images of ducks where they were, open water, and people that sent 
us photos of areas way north with open water and bunches of birds. It's actually very easy to get to 400,000 mallards or even a half million mallards or more. I would even say upwards of, you know, 1.5 million mallards across the wide open water and lands of the north this December and early January. A little technical here, but worth a worth a run. I knew this is how these numbers would come out, but this is kind of a nice breakdown and will give you a feel why it's easy to find, you know, a half million mallards or more in the North Country uh, this year. For planning purposes, the Upper Mississippi River and Great Lakes Joint Venture uses 1,572 duck use days per square kilometer. That is, there is enough food that 1,572 ducks could feed on one square kilometer of area for one day. Let's just say, you know, they've been on that area from about October to December, or 92 days. So we have to divide 1,572 by 92 to get 17 ducks that could be fed per day for 92 days on one square kilometer. So if you divide 400,000 by 17 ducks per square kilometer, then those 400,000 ducks need 23,529 square kilometers to sustain themselves somewhere in the north for 92 days. Given that Minnesota alone is 225,181 square kilometers in size, nearly 10 times the area needed by those 400,000 mallards for 92 days, it's pretty easy to see why ducks are not in the South. Those are the facts, folks. They're hard facts. When it doesn't freeze up North and it doesn't snow, ducks just don't have a good reason to move South. We've also heard concern about harvest surveys and that people are not reporting, so we must be shooting more mallards. We got comments on the foulweather.co Facebook page that more ducks get shot in Canada than the Deep South nowadays because of all the people traveling north. The facts, using data from the Migratory Bird Hunting Activity and Harvest Reports for 2021-2022 hunting season. All of Canada shot 668,484 ducks, of which 200, about 282,000 were mallards. Arkansas alone in the same year shot 916,000 ducks, of which about 389,000 were mallards. So, Arkansas shoots more ducks and more mallards than the entire country of Canada, just Arkansas alone. We also heard that duck harvest numbers must be wrong because people are not claiming the ducks they shoot at the border when they return. Whew. First, Border Patrol does not conduct harvest surveys. They are just ensuring Migratory Bird Treaty Act compliance. Second, the Canadian system is similar to the U.S. Harvest Information Program, or HIP. They select a random number of people um, that get a hunter survey, right, where each person hunting Canada reports how many ducks and geese they harvest. A subsample also gets envelopes and mails in wings that's used to determine species, sex, and age composition of the harvest. Again, right, very similar to the U.S. HIP survey. I've actually participate, participated in the Canadian and U.S. harvest surveys and the U.S. wing survey. I've also worked the wing bee, 
right? Like a spelling bee, but with a whole pile of duck wings that folks identify. Everybody gets together to ID by species, sex, and age. I've done this in Canada and the U.S. These values are then scaled up in the in HIP or the Harvest Information Program to ensure, uh, sorry, to the entire sample of hunters to get the total harvest of each species and sex and age ratios in that harvest. So there's no reason to think that guides in Canada are to blame for biased numbers. The responsibility is on the individual hunter that gets the survey, right? We also hear simply those numbers can't be right because people do not report properly. Holy shit, stop doing that. <laughs> those data are vital to quality duck management on this continent. You can't be a person that doesn't report a band or you know report your harvest properly and then blame the system because you are the person that's breaking it. All right, now all that bias, though, is already accounted for as well. Not getting into it here, but biologists are not idiots that don't build in correction factors for yahoos that don't report properly. Is it perfect? No. But, right, does it help us follow trends and harvest well? Yes, it does. Period. Yes. <sighs> but damn it, report your bands, report your harvest, and participate in surveys. They are there to serve you the hunter. Whew, boy, we covered a lot of ground, didn't we? One we didn't cover is the idea of photo period migrators. Go back and listen to episode six, A Tale of Two Migrations, for more information on that topic. And we will hit on it again slightly here because I think folks keep calling certain species photo period migrators, which really isn't a thing. Excluding blue-winged teal, even the early ducks migrate based more on weather than photo period alone. That isn't to say that photo period does not play a role, just that timing of migration definitely is adjusted by weather, so they migrate earlier or later than we would be expected by a photo period cue alone. People in the South often think that the early ducks are calendar or photo period migrators because typically the weather has been harsh enough to move these wimpy ducks to southern latitudes before the season opens, but they do adjust. What makes ducks migrate has been a bulk of my own research, and these findings are published in the Journal of Wildlife Management, the Journal of Climate, and several others. All right, so outside of the stuffy journal, you know, digging that information up, people are like, well, you know, show me the facts here, Dr. Mike. Just look at the Illinois River data from Forbes for this year to know that ducks are not photo period migrants. Gadwall last week were 2,000, about 2,000% greater in number on the Illinois River than the 10-year long-term average at around 19,000 birds. They're usually at less than 1,000. They also were at 5,000 shovelers when they're typically near zero. And on the flip side, the latest migrant, the GoldenEye, was only at 2,845 when they're usually above 5,000. Total ducks were 233% greater on the Illinois River than the 10-year average. They've adjusted to stay north because the weather really just has not pushed them south. So where are the ducks? There are definitely fewer mallards than in the late 1990s and 2000s. A lot less. That's basically a response to decreased water and grass on the prairies. Again, go to our Facebook page at foulweather.co and look at that graphic showing the relationship between mallard breeding abundance and the number of ponds. 
Yeah, the prairie also got ate up by corn and soybean at something like $8 per bushel when government subsidies to not farm grasslands used by nesting ducks, that when those subsidies couldn't keep up, the prairie habitat did get decimated. My suggestion? Engage your representatives and vote for grassland and wetland conservation policies. Become a member of Ducks Unlimited or, or Delta Waterfall, who both have habitat initiatives. In coming episodes, probably in the spring after season, we'll cover CRP or Conservation Reserve Program and other grassland and wetland programs that aim to keep the prairies environmentally sound for ducks, right? Um, but today on this episode, it's, it's just too much to cover. In the midst of the return of water to the prairies in the 1990s, we also at the same time put a lot of wetland restoration on migration corridors and wintering areas. We worked very hard to send ducks back strong. So that also is part of the equation and what has likely helped ducks sustain better than the 1980s, even in the face of prairie habitat loss and drying wetlands. Anyhow, so where are the ducks? There are less of them, yes, but the weather has been insanely warm and lack of snow cover has happened too. So waste grains left after harvest are available in fields, that and the drought in many areas. Florida has a good number of ducks, so does Oklahoma and parts of Texas, and all those areas have water. So the ducks that made it into the drought-stricken areas of the south got pressured and moved on. Pressure is also part of this equation, but that's a story, really, for an, that's a whole episode or more. Um, in itself. So where are the ducks, folks? They're everywhere. But mallards, up until, you know, this coming week and hang for this uh, migration forecast, it's pretty cool. Um, Mallards have mostly been north of you. I really hope everyone enjoyed our breakdown of the facts. We get it. Uh, I was, I was, I didn't, I didn't kill a duck, right? I hunted two days in Missouri. I hunted two days in Mississippi, you know, with folks that that aren't idiots. They they know how to they know how to hunt ducks, and we didn't kill a bird. I get the frustration, but putting feelings aside, the reality is that a very large group of very dedicated hunter conservationists are working very hard to make sure your waterfowl resources remain intact. Right? After all, they're duck hunters too. So the sky is not falling, folks, because we have good people at the wheel. Getting politicians involved because people feel like ducks are in trouble is not the solution. Why not? Because there are also a lot of people that also feel that duck hunting is just wrong. Antis, right? Let the process work. We have good people. We have hunter conservationists at the wheel. And the sky is not falling. More next week, I'm breaking up pair bonds late in the season. I will dissect the available science and provide my own interpretation from that available information. Mostly, you shouldn't have guilt over shooting ducks in January. It is not the demise of duck populations. Heck, if the mallards do not show up this year to the deep south, right, until the last two weeks of season, think about taking that away. Take January away, and you might as well not have a duck season on these warm years in the deep south. As always, please feel free to send your questions, rants, and hate mail to Dr. Mike at foulweather.co. That's F O W L weather.co. On to our uplifting migration forecast for the week. Previously, we've had some small shots of cold, but not much snow to report, right? With these major fronts, some ducks move, but this week we are probably starting to see the start of a really nice cold stretch. 
that will at least send Ducks South in abundance better than we've seen all season. This might be the one that saves it all. We also got rains, but most of them keep tracking along the Gulf and then up the East Coast rather than hitting the most drought-stricken areas of kind of the North MAV or Mississippi Alluvial Valley. So we're getting uh, a wet, you know, kind of Southeast U.S. as predicted for an El Nino year, but not in all the places we need it yet. Hopefully in the coming weeks, we will see some rains that hit those major drought-stricken areas. We're going to start in the east because it probably has the least spectacular movement of ducks south. The strong cold front is mostly centered west of Ohio. For the Atlantic Flyway, a system dumped snow yesterday, Sunday, in the northeast U.S. Uh, started Saturday night and then went into Sunday. This was coupled with average temperatures below freezing, which produced WSI values great enough to cause a mallard migration for only the second time of the year out of the region of central New York into places farther south. Unfortunately, by Tuesday and Wednesday, average temperatures will be above freezing, and on Wednesday, the home office in Jack's Reef is actually forecast to hit the mid 40s. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So if I was in the east, I would focus uh, on on areas south of New York for mallard and other duck migration into those areas. I'd focus early in the week, right? Uh, Those systems are not really associated with a lot of good north or northwest winds other than a short period last night, so Sunday night into this morning. So probably get after them today and Tuesday would be your best bet in the Atlantic Flyway for fresh ducks from from the north. I will put, and I'm mostly talking about like Pennsylvania to the mid-Atlantic, kind of Chesapeake Bay, where these birds should be coming in early in the week, um, even starting today and in tomorrow. I will put this caveat on the migration, though, for the Atlantic Flyway, especially the southeast U.S., where I think this is going to happen. Keep listening here below, because you may get ducks pushing into your neck of the woods from the intense cold that is moving down the Mississippi drainage. Because it's not like the Atlantic coast, especially southeast Atlantic coast, doesn't get birds out of the mid-continent. They definitely do. So I'd actually expect like a really, potentially really good gadwall push into the into the southeast, right? Mallards are tough to get there lots of times into the Carolinas and such. But I think a bunch of your early ducks are going to push in. And again, you know, it's going to be early in the week. And then maybe again, real, real late in the week is that intense cold really gets after it in the mid-continent. Our excitement for this week, though, is really focused to the mid-continent and west. There's a one-two punch of snow early, Monday, Tuesday, and again late in the week, Thursday, Friday, along with some wicked impressive cold driving down from Canada, starting to hit mid-latitudes on Thursday, and continuing to push south through the weekend. So let's tackle the far west first, just east of the Rockies. For the first time this year, weather severity index values are great enough as far south as Kansas that we can forecast a major mallard migration into Oklahoma and Texas. Barrels should be hot. Fresh ducks should start to show up on Monday or Tuesday, but get really hot and heavy Friday into Saturday. 
If you're in Oklahoma, New Mexico, Texas, and have been waiting on mallards, this is the time to hit the field. As we move into the mid-continent more, we see up to 10 inches of snow possible as far south as mid-Missouri by next Sunday, with temperatures as low as single digits. By Saturday and Sunday, Memphis barely gets above freezing for at least 48 hours. Wow, what a turnaround for our southern friends. Weather severity index values are great enough all week to start mallard migration, but the peak movement is really expected Thursday into Friday. Honestly, if you haven't had a duck season yet, I'd try to scout for new ducks each afternoon and hunt them the next morning if you think you've got fresh ducks. But fresh ducks should be around in abundance from Thursday through the weekend. If you have a private hunting spot you can't get to till late next week or the weekend, I'd make barrels hot for the weekend for sure. And if you have some days off to take, I'd bet on Thursday and Friday is good days too. By Sunday, though, a little warning here for folks in the south. It's this If this temperature comes in like we think it is, how it's predicted right now, this is long-term. These things can change. They can moderate some when you start getting seven, eight days out, right? But by Sunday, there may be skim ice in northern Arkansas and maybe the north delta of Mississippi as this mercury plummets. So we keep talking about mallards here, but we'd expect a major push of early ducks too that were hanging north. And for our coastal folks, our Gulf Coast folks in South Atlantic um, folks, pintails, gadwall, widgeon, shoveler, and teal numbers should jump this week too. Wow. We at the Foul Weather Podcast have really been waiting to make this forecast all season since like that early bump of cold that hit the prairies in October. We haven't seen anything, right? But it is an El Nino year, and, you know, quite a warm winter was expected. So I know it's getting down to the wire time-wise, but I'd take advantage of this cold while it lasts, my friends. Yeah, we've been talking about it for weeks, right? But we finally had time to release our inaugural episode of The Kitchen Conversations last week as episode 21, The Merg Squad Abides. Give it a listen. We meet with two great duck hunters and hit on a ton of topics, including changes to duck migration, overcrowding marshes, and some some BS about shooting mergansers. The Kitchen Conversations is conversations with duck hunters and scientists across Duck Country USA. Spread the word about the Fall Weather Podcast. We produce the only duck migration forecast available. Ducks will move. They will migrate. Follow us to find out when and where. Remember to share, follow, and rate us for free. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and Instagram. We appreciate it if you take the time to rate the Fall Weather Podcast, and we thank you very, very much for your support. Also look us up on the web at foulweather.co where you can find episode links, recipes, and additional information about how to support the Foul Weather Podcast. We are the forecast to your next successful hunt. Thanks for listening, and as always, may your skies be filled and shoot straight, my friends. (laughs) 